0: Hey, welcome to The Jesus Magnet. I'm Joel, and we're joined with Johnny, Louisa, and Rose. How are you guys all doing?
1: Yeah, good. Good, good. Thank you.
0: Awesome. Thanks for coming back on the show, and we're going to carry on with the Bible Overview uh, episodes, or what is it called? Bible Overview study.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> the DBS. <laughs>
2: <laughs> there you go.
0: Um, and... Louisa, would you like to just go over with what we did on our last episode, just so anybody that's joining, they know that they're on the right track on the right episode?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, last time we talked uh, about Jesus and the church. We looked at the Gospels and the beginning of the book of Acts and talked a bit about Jesus's message in the Gospels of how Jesus enters the stage and he proclaims that the kingdom of God is here. So we talked a lot about the kingdom of God and what this kingdom is all about. Uh, we talked about Jesus' message of forgiveness and repentance. Mm. Um, and so in the book of Acts, we see the church Jesus followers, and what we call his disciples. We see them pick up this message and bring it out to the people in Jerusalem, to people in Judea and the surrounding regions, and then to the ends of the earth. Mm. Um and where we're kind of going to pick up today is that part of that mission um, to bring the message to the ends of the earth, mm. we're going to run into a character, mm. uh, and his name is Paul. And he is going to be um, what a lot of Bible teachers call like the mm. Gentile missionary. He's mm. the one, the main character in the New Testament, bringing the message of Christ to Gentiles or non-Jewish people. hmm so, yeah, and that's kind of where we left off
0: awesome last time. and um, we've got Johnny you're going to be sharing all that with yep. us with Paul, uh, but before Everything. you've got <laughs> a huge extensive uh, you know uh, knowledge on the Bible and the Old Testament and the New Testament, but the one question I really want to know is when Moses made tea, how did he make it It's
3: a good question.
0: <laughs> How did he know. make it? How did you Moses make me. tea? <laughs> he brews <bruise> it. <laughs> oh, but um. Good one. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I oh, got with that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's great. always forget
0: That's about awesome. that. Cool. All right. It's we'll pass it over little, to you, yeah, Johnny. It's
3: a useful little...
2: Uh, Buttons. Sound effect. That's what <laughs> it's called.
3: Yeah. Um... Yep, yeah, I guess I'm not smart enough to get that one. No, what Rose always asks me to do Bible jokes, but I forget a lot of them, But she loves them. No one else that funny except for Rose. Yes. So. I'm sure. I don't know if you remember any. But anyways. Yep. Um yeah, so exciting. A lot of content as promised. We're gonna go through every single thing with Paul, so I hope you guys are ready. But no, that's a lie. Um we're definitely not gonna do that. Um Hopefully, my plan is just to give you guys a big picture, go over some, I don't know, big picture ideas and concepts and mindsets and some historical background that hopefully you guys will be able to go into each letter and kind of understand how to study it yourselves. And so that's kind of the plan of this whole podcast. But um, especially with the amount of content and everything in these letters. It is quite a challenge, but I think we'll be able to do it. Um, Yes, and so Louisa was kind of recapping the book of Acts, and so one of the most important verses in that book is the eighth verse, and it says, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. And so um, it sounds like Louisa talked about kind of Jerusalem, Judea, and we'll kind of start to look more towards how the ends of the earth, how that was fulfilled, and mainly that was fulfilled by Paul, at least for what we have in our New Testament um, in the literature. And so we'll kind of talk about Paul and his journeys and a bunch of that stuff. But as you read the book of Acts, um, there's a shift. So the first nine chapters is really focused on Peter and the Jerusalem apostles. And then from chapters nine on, it kind of starts shifting from the focus on Jerusalem to the focus on Paul and the nations. And so we're kind of picking up on that second half of the book of Acts. So as you read some of these letters, maybe just look back into the book of Acts. Kind of, you'll see some of the context what's going on. Um, but also, as you read the book of Acts, there's a lot going on, and it's a bit overwhelming sometimes. So get ready to pull out a map, and that kind of will help you to see what's yeah where what cities falls in because. It's Mm. a bit of madness and information overload.
1: Maps are your friend when studying the New Testament. Amen.
3: So, um, yeah, so we'll pick up chapter 9. So I just want to talk a little bit about who this guy Paul is. Um, So he goes by a couple names, Paul and Saul. And so the reason behind that is not that his name got changed, but he used two different names. So Saul was his Hebrew Jewish name and Paul was his uh, Roman Greek name. Um, And so you can kind of use those interchangeably, Paul or Saul. Usually he goes by Paul because he's in the Gentile Greek world. Um, And so he was born in Tarsus, Sicilia. So that's not in Judea. Um, But this was actually a Roman settlement. And he actually has Roman citizenship, which when we talk about that, it is pretty important. Um, A lot of people in the Roman society were slaves. And so Roman citizenship actually, well, there's only two ways to get it. Either you buy it or you're born into it. So say you're born of a free person, which might've been Paul, um, then you're a Roman citizen de facto. But, um, yeah, most people weren't Roman citizens or sorry, there were a lot of people who weren't Roman citizens. Um, and a lot of Jews weren't Roman citizens and, he got a lot of perks. So a lot of the reason he could travel so easily around the empire is because he was a Roman citizen. He also got protection. He got the right to appeal to Caesar, which is what he ends up doing in the book of Acts because he wants to witness to Caesar, which is kind of cool. Yeah. So he's a Roman citizen, which ends up coming into his advantage later around. Um, And he was born around Jesus's birth and died anywhere between 62 to 64 AD. Um, And he, by trade, is a tent maker. We find that in 1 Corinthians. Um, So that's pretty cool. Um, And that's where we kind of get the idea of tent making when people say, oh yeah, I'm tent making to like doing missions or ministry while also working a job. It's kind of this idea from Paul being a tent maker um, because he did that when he was in Corinth. Um, And so Paul writes his letters in common Greek, which was called Koinea greek and so yep he's a man of the people so good on you paul um when he describes himself in some of his letters he says he's the son of abraham which is kind of a general description so son of abraham abraham had at least two sons that we know about in the bible but they think he had more and so son of abraham and then he goes more specific he's an israelite but more than being an israelite he's a hebrew of hebrews and so that why is that important because he's not a hellenistic jew Um, when we talked about post-exilic period we talked about how one of the groups was the Hellenistic Jews basically Jews that took Greek culture so Paul wasn't a Hellenistic Jew but he was a Hebrew of Hebrews so he loved his culture and he followed his culture even though he wasn't necessarily born in Judea Um, and then he describes himself more further he says he's a Pharisee of Pharisees Um, and so what group in Judaism did he identify with most? The Pharisees. Um, And so we find in Acts 22 that he studied studied under Gamaliel. And so I've been trying to find a a New Zealand analogy or comparison to this because in America I would say that's like going to Harvard, Mm -hmm. but there's not really a Harvard in New Zealand. So Mm. I said, I've been trying to find one. So I said like maybe going to Oxford or Cambridge, but I don't know if like any Kiwis would actually try to go there, but... Mm -hmm. Joel, do you have any insights? What's what's the equivalent of like Harvard in New Zealand? Um,
0: I don't know. It's uh, the, that's the thing with New Zealand is it's more or less anybody can go to any college. You oh, know, uh, it's uh, but in America it's normally a lot more limited. Sure. I mean, you can still get denied entry, but um, yeah, it, it's, it's more like the more the courses. Right, uh, that they have, you know, to do law, you have got to do so well in these sure. other areas. But yeah, no. Um, but we, as Kiwis, un- definitely understand that concept because okay. we watch a lot of American movies, and <laughs> um, we understand that you know you guys have some pretty hardcore schools yep. that are very expensive and very very well educated.
3: Yep. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of the idea. Well, so I guess I'll never find that. Could just be answer.
2: studying to be a doctor or a lawyer.
3: That's yeah. pretty, yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah, just high degree. Yeah, high degree. He was a smart dude. High degree of so education. Gamaliel was like one of the two most prominent mm-hmm. rabbis of Paul's day. And so the fact that he studied under a Gamaliel shows that he's... Probably a pretty smart guy <laughs> um, And his family is probably pretty well off So kind of because of those reasons That's why they think maybe he came from A more influential Well off family Is because Well if his parents could afford to send him to Gamaliel Then they probably could afford the Roman citizenship um, So just kind of An interesting thing um, And also just maybe why God Chose Paul Because he was actually a really smart guy hmm. Um And he describes himself also in Acts in some of his letters as a persecutor of the church, and that's kind of where we find him first. In the book of Acts is that the stoning of Stephen, and it says that he's holding their coats, which is kind of a sign to say that basically he's endorsing the killing, the stoning of Stephen, saying, yep, this is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in the book of Acts, to further my point on him being smart, there's a verse that I love. It's Acts twenty six twenty four. He says, um, he's talking to Festus in his defense and it says, and he was saying these things in his defense. And Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. I love that verse. So, um, Paul definitely is a guy that likes studying. He's a bookworm, I imagine. Um, I mean, he's writing lots of letters, so he's definitely staying in communication with people, um. Mm-hmm. And so this guy, one of the Roman leaders is basically like, Paul, you're, you've gone crazy (laughs) through your study. So, um, yeah, he's an interesting guy. Um, he's very relational. I, uh, I don't actually have the exact number, but he mentions it's over 40 people by name in his letters. And so he's very relational, a very, yeah, I don't know. He just cares a lot about people, which is pretty cool. Um, And he is converted by Jesus, and he describes this in Acts 9, also Acts 22 and 26. And so those are kind of where he describes his conversion story. And so for those of you who don't know, he is traveling to, um, what's the city called? Damascus. Damascus? Okay. I thought, I wasn't sure if it was the Damascus road. So he's heading to Damascus to persecute Christians. And he's on the road, and out of nowhere, um, this bright light shows, and it's Jesus. And he says... Um, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Do you want to read it, actually? since you just Yeah, I'll read it. it.
1: Um, so Saul is uh, on his way to the synagogues in Damascus. And it says, uh, picking up from chapter 9, verse 3, it says in the NLT, As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and get and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do.
3: Yep. And so, pretty crazy. Um, I can't imagine having that encounter. Um, but Paul kind of describes himself um, in 1 Timothy. He kind of talks about his his journey becoming a Christian, his journey to knowing the Lord. And he talks about it. He says, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So that's 1 Timothy 13 through 16. And so we kind of see Paul, his understanding of, I guess, his salvation and his life. And I just really like that, how he talks about, right, formerly I did all of these things. And we kind of learn that Paul, the reason he did a lot of the things isn't because he was angry at God or any of that. Actually, he loved God like very zealously. Like he was super passionate about God, but he was ignorant. He didn't know the whole truth. So he was fighting these Christians thinking that they're like the enemy. And, you know, we need to rise up like Judas Maccabees and kill some, um, some people because they're bad in Jewish culture or whatever. And what, he ends up realizing is that he's actually persecuting Jesus. He's opposing God himself. And so as soon as he gets converted, he pretty much is on like this mad tear in the opposite direction because he is an extremely passionate and he loves the Lord. And so, um, yeah, he's a really (laughs) intense guy. Um, he confronts Peter. Um, we, we see that in Galatians, like in front of everyone publicly rebukes him and, um, I mean, he yeah, he's a very bold, just like, in-your-face guy. Um, Josephus has a description of him that he is a short, um, bow-legged, uh, oh, what does he say, uh, cross-eyed man with his eyebrows meeting <laughs> in the middle. And so he's an interesting, yeah, I don't know what funny he actually character. looked like. Yeah, yeah, he seems like a funny character. I, would, I mean, probably most of us wouldn't enjoy his company, Well, maybe we would. I don't know. He might make us a little uncomfortable, but he seems to be, like, a very relational guy, Um, but also just intense, and he knows what he believes, and he knows he's a man on a mission, really. Um, And so throughout the book of Acts, he starts, so once it starts shifting towards focusing on Paul, he ends up going on, um, at least that we know of, three missionary journeys, um, church Uh, Tradition says that he goes on four total. One is after the Book of Acts ends. Um, And so, yeah, he ends up going all around the, well, Roman Empire for the most part. He goes mostly north. So he gets sent out of the Church of Antioch, um, and so they become, like, the main mission-sending church, which is kind of interesting when you think of the roots of that City. We talked about it in post exilic week, but Antiochus Epiphanes was the guy who uh, persecuted the Jews more than anyone. And so it's kind of a cool redemption arc for that town that the place that he came out of actually God used to become wow. the point to reach the nations. So the that's early pretty church cool. capital. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Um and so it kind of folks changed focus from the Jerusalem church to this Antioch church and he, how basically Paul is just going all around the Roman Empire, and it's pretty crazy because if you think of the times, <laughs> they don't have cars or planes. I'm like this guy had to be really committed. I I found an article I haven't been able to find it since, but it talked about they actually like totaled up how much he actually walked, and it was like thousands of miles. And I was like, wow, yeah, it's pretty crazy mm-hmm. to imagine. Yeah, just like that lifestyle. I mean. We're um, impressed if we walk two miles in a day. It's like Yeah,
2: it's not just down the street. Yeah. <laughs> he actually really needed to know where he was
3: going. <laughs> yeah, pretty crazy. Um To yeah. think
0: to think of that actually, like to just survive that sort of trek, you would have to back in those days, like you'd be going so far from town to town. Mm. And have so little to eat and to drink and things like that, you'd kinda need a divine guide yep. to survive backpacking thousands of miles around there. Yep. Right? Yeah, yep. no
2: phone, no GPS, yeah. <laughs> no gas stations.
0: Yeah. Like like you would be getting you'd be getting lost if you didn't have the Holy Spirit. So yep. you're definitely guided in that sense as well.
3: Right, totally yep in the ships he went on a lot of ships, gotten a couple shipwrecks, so that's fun <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just not the same. Adventures. It's so hard for us to understand these days. I mean, even like having been to like Papua New Guinea myself, it's like I still think that the travel there is much better than probably mm. what he had in his day, but there's
0: almost nothing to compare it to yeah. now, I eh? doesn't it? yeah
3: no yeah, so it's pretty crazy um and so he goes all over um. Like I said, Bible maps are your friend. If you're here in person, I would show you some Bible maps. Um, but just look up Paul's missionary journeys, and especially as you read through Acts, it's kind of it's really helpful to have mm-hmm. those maps up because it literally is just like city after city after city after city. And obviously, us these are ancient cities that most of them don't exist anymore, or they're different names and a completely different region of the world. And so it's really confusing.
1: Yeah, and um, I was just going to add, add with the book of Acts, it's really cool because we're going to talk about Paul's letters in, in the New Testament today, but it's really cool to have those missionary journeys recorded um, in the book of Acts because a lot of Paul's letters were written at the same time. I think you mentioned that, mm-hmm. Johnny, that they're kind of written um, at the same time. But then, So we have the locations um, and the churches in the book of Acts and then we kind of have the conversation going on on one side of the conversation in the letters in the New Testament. So that also just shows how important of a writing the book of Acts is, that it's literally like the backbone of the New Testament Mm -hmm. connecting the Gospels and the letters in the New Testament.
3: Yep. no, it's a really good point. Um, Thanks for bringing that up. Um, Yes, and you kind of started to mention, um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about what an epistle is, because it just is a very holy word. It sounds really holy, but (laughs) all it means is a letter. Um, And so, um, like any letter, obviously, there's two sides to the story. And so, um, when we come to an epistle, sometimes, well, I mean, honestly, it's just like the Bible. I feel like when I was talking about this last time i was really thinking about like how old of a book the bible really is and sometimes we just have to come to accept that this is a really old book and we have to we have to really i know sometimes it's hard to commit a lot of your time to studying something especially if you don't like studying but You do have to put some effort into studying and understanding historical background just because it's such an old book. And so, but especially with letters, right? It's like if you overhear someone having a conversation on the phone, you can pick up bits and pieces and you might understand who they're talking to, but like, if my wife is talking on the phone with someone and I'm in the room, as soon as she hangs up, I ask her, who was that? You know, what were they wondering? You know? And once she tells me, Oh, that was my friend. We're ma- making plans for tomorrow night. I can fit all the pieces together. And so that's a lot of these mm. books is when we can understand the context, and we can understand the audience. It helps us to make, make sense of why Paul is saying the things that he says, because some of them seem really, really, really strange and out of context. And, um, there is a vein of Christian thinking where, you know, you just need to take every single thing in the Bible literally. And if it says it, that's the end of the conversation and you just need to take it like lock, stock and barrel. Um, and I think there is a good truth in that in preserving, right? We want to, we want to honor God's word. We want to elevate it above maybe what, are cultural ideas and cultural beliefs, but there is a place where we actually need to understand context um, because context is really important. And I think I've been thinking about it just a lot with... um, I mean, just I feel like every area of life, humans just like to take things out of context. It's like the news and... You know conversations and everything, it's like we just love taking like one line and taking it out of context and making it say what we want to say, and that is not hopefully what we want to do with the Bible. Is we want to be stewards and we want not to be like Paul, just zealously following things and actually coming against God, but being humble and letting him lead us into truth. And so that's why I think context is really important. And Epistles really highlights the importance of context and historical background and even just humility with a lot of these things, thinking, you know, I don't know, maybe we'll find something later on. And it's actually a pretty cool time to be alive because they're learning a lot about Second Temple Judaism in this time frame that they didn't know before. And so it's kind of a cool time where we're learning more historical context than we have known, and so it's really helping us to understand. You know why was Paul actually writing these things, and coming back to our roots. And so, um, just remember when you read epistles, and that's not just Paul's letters, but also um, there's Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter, First, Second, Third John, and so all of those are letters. And so we have to read them as one side of a phone conversation. Um, and that's not obviously an excuse for you. the same thing. For you just to make it say whatever you want to say because there's context but we have to do a little bit of digging first
0: Mm. a good quote that i've heard a couple of times is from uh dr carson um he's a canadian minister and he Mm. says a text without context is pretext for a proof text oh so proof text is like a neutral term for a scripture or text that proved or was seen to prove a particular doctrine. Hmm. So, yeah, it's very important to understand what the context is yeah. for the so, so, sort of text that you're looking into. Yeah, oh,
3: that's really good. good. I like that. <laughs> I don't know if I could repeat it, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of texts. Um, <laughs> that's good. A, yeah. a text, context. <laughs>
0: yeah. A text without context is a pretext yeah. for
3: proof text
0: <laughs> um,
3: and I'm sure this is something that probably has been mentioned many times throughout this podcast if you guys have been listening through but it's kind of one of those things that it's good to be drilled into you just so that we can learn to have some humility and really be challenged mm. to keep digging and be humble with our views and obviously be diligent and Yeah, searching out what the truth is. Um, Yeah, and so hopefully that's good. Do you guys have anything you want to add about epistles?
1: Um, I was just going to say, Paul is a great example of that, of like letting Jesus guide our interpretation of scripture. Because when Mm -hmm. we're reading um, Paul's conversion in chapter 9, Paul is going to Damascus, and after his meeting with Jesus, he's still going to Damascus. His seal and, like, his purpose isn't changed, but his mission is, like, mm. 180 mm. switched Yeah. from going to persecution to, like, being the pioneer of mm. the church yeah. in the Gentile world because he allowed Jesus to, like, kind of redefine everything he knew.
3: Mm. Yeah. Well, that's really good.
2: And it really shows how important it is, yeah, that God's in that process, That's not just something that, I think it's so easy even in the Bible to be like, oh, well, A plus B equals C, so it has to be this way. But, like, we really need, yeah, God in, in the middle of that. And yeah. um, and even, I, I mean, encourage the audience to really, um, especially with the epistles, um, see, like, where there are common threads. Because yeah. if, you know, it shows up once and it seems kind of out of the blue, like, maybe... That is a a red flag of, like, hmm, maybe this is for a very specific situation. That's going on kind of like what Johnny was saying. Um, But, yeah, like, just looking for those red threads, those those things that show up multiple times Mm -hmm. instead of honing in on the thing that shows up maybe once that's out of the blue. Mm.
3: Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I think also, like, having the advantage of hindsight and this amazing collection of books that is the bible it's easy for us to forget that point of you know say you are in in the in one of these churches that paul is writing to you may only actually have that letter that's mm-hmm. all you have in the old testament and so it's easy for us to say, oh, see, Paul says this in this letter, and then it connects to this letter, and that means that when we make these crazy theologies stringing all these verses together, and I'm not saying these theologies are bad, because sometimes they highlight it more, but if you're Paul writing that letter, that one letter is all you know that you have. So you're going to share what what's important, and so I think what Rose was saying is really good. We want to look for the thread in between each of these books, because that's the, like what is Paul saying in every single book? Because if he's saying it in every single book, that means it's really important because every single church he has one shot well not one shot, but in this in this idea right You have one mm-hmm. letter to write to them so you're going to write what's actually important to you, not just whatever And so he, we learned right, he's in a he's a really smart guy. So he's not just going to waste his opportunities to share with these churches. Um, He's going to be really, really intentional with it. And so, yeah, I think, Rose, that's a great point, right? Look for those important things. Look for the themes that are tied throughout. You could say Paul's dogmatics, right? The things that he's um, dogmatic about, which means, right, he's... He's gonna fight tooth and nail those are like the things those are the hills he's gonna die on he's those aren't just like willy-nilly oh yeah it might be this it might be this this is like nope jesus is lord so there you go cheat sheet there's one um jesus <laughs> is lord right jesus is god he's the son of god um and that is something that he's not gonna he's not gonna waver on he's dead set jesus is lord and so there's a lot of other things and so i'm gonna kind of talk about um a few of these threads or maybe some historical background stuff we'll go into right now of that will hopefully help you guys that as you see because paul (laughs) sometimes i was was actually talking about paul in school last week and um it's kind of funny because when we get to like first and second thessalonians or sorry first and second timothy i was talking about how like we almost use those verses where it says, you know, many false teachers will rise in the last days, and those verses to just, like, call everyone we disagree with a false teacher. <laughs> but I was arguing, well, anyways, um, I was. I think it's more contextual to what Paul's day is, and we'll kind of, well, if you guys study them, you'll see that mm-hmm. he's usually talking about people who are fighting for Jewish these Jewish ideas and forcing them on believers still. Mm. And so it's kind of interesting. Yeah,
2: what kind of ideas, um, like Jewish ideas, were they forcing on people?
3: Yes. Um, Well, so I'll give a little context. That's a good question. Um, But a little context on these people because this kind of leads into it. Um, So the first kind of problem and idea that was floating around is as the church was developing, sometimes you look back at the book of acts and we're like yes we need to be like the book of acts and i think we do in faith but also they really didn't know what they were doing i think they're mm-hmm. like they had this new crazy i don't think they were like trying to form a new religion they were just like jesus is he's risen you know what i mean that's like their whole message and so they're kind of figuring everything out on the fly um but as it's establishing there's kind of different groups that end up forming even within christianity and so you have kind of like the guys in our Bibles that we think of as like the normal Christians, which, you know, obviously they were, but one of the groups that kind of formed, they were called the Judaizers. And so the Judaizers were Christians, but they also believed that Christians also needed to follow certain Old Testament rituals, um, and especially circumcision. And so that's what Rose was asking, right? What were they kind of trying to force them to do? Well, one big one was circumcision, right? And that was a big uh, Jewish custom that they wanted, they thought the Gentiles needed to do and in order to become Christians. So it wasn't just faith in Christ that they needed, but also circumcision and Probably also following certain Old Testament rituals or Jewish rituals. So, um, Louisa, did you talk about the like the written law last um,
1: week? No, I don't. We didn't talk too much about the law um, and the council at Jerusalem. Sure, but I guess that would be a good thing to kind of yeah include today. You just
3: want to chat about it quick? Since...
1: Yeah. So essentially, in the Book of Acts in chapter fifteen, um, we see the church come together in a council, and yeah, we had this problem between the Judaizers and the Jerusalem church, and Paul uh, on his missionary journeys, um, they're discovering that the Gentiles are receiving the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. and being baptized in the Holy Spirit, Peter has seen this, he's going to a Roman, um, Cornelius, and he receives the Holy Spirit, his family receives the Holy Spirit, and Paul is preaching to the Gentiles and never receiving the Holy Spirit. So the dilemma becomes, what are we going to do with these Gentile now followers of mm-hmm. Christ? Because at this point, um, and it's interesting, the more scholars study 1st and 2nd century Christianity, um, it's more and more clear that Christianity at this point was still just another Jewish, right. Jewish group. Yep. It wasn't a new, so, like they weren't trying to form a new religion. It was just another group. So what they're trying to figure out is what are we going to do with Gentiles and Romans in this new Jewish group? Because in all the other groups, they're just, you know, they're Jewish, so they're obviously getting circumcised. yeah. Um, and they're following the law, and they're keeping, like, upholding all these rituals that's all part of covenant. Like, it's good that they're upholding this mm. because they believe they're the chosen people that are part of this Old Testament, um, old, old Covenant. Um but now with the Gentile inclusion, the dilemma is: what are we going to do with the Gentiles? Like, do they have to be essentially be Jewish or become Jewish before they can follow Christ? So that's the um, kind of the issue at hand at the Jerusalem Council, um, and that's kind of um, the Judaizers are coming at the council and saying they have to get circumcised, and then. Um, Peter and Paul and James are going to have a different solution of them essentially agreeing that they don't have to become circumcised and you can be a Gentile and follow, like be a Gentile Christian (laughs) um, and not be circumcised and still follow Christ. Yeah. Yeah.
3: No, it's good. And that's, that's kind of the reason a lot of this is an issue is yeah, they, they thought it was just a Jewish religion and now Mm -hmm. what the heck all these Gentiles are being filled with the Holy Spirit like it's not just that they want to believe but it's that God is pouring out the Holy Spirit on them and they're being filled with the Holy Spirit and what do you do Mm. when God (laughs) is filling Gentiles it's not just that they're following Old Testament rituals yeah
1: yeah
2: Yeah, and it's also good to keep in mind that like when we say circumcision this isn't just some random law they had it actually Mm. was very tied to their covenant with God so this is Yeah, something just to keep in mind, because, Mm -hmm. um, like, the Israelites' identity as a nation was that they were in covenant with God. So Mm -hmm. they, like, by discovering how how they're going to navigate this, they were like, well, the Christians are now, like, in covenant with God, but what does that look like? And Paul even goes into that a little bit about how it's not a circumcision of the flesh, but of the heart. And, And with circumcision, it's basically cutting off, like, some skin um mm-hmm. on like a man's genitals. <laughs> but yeah, basically like for so I guess if you were to correspond or connect that to the heart, it's like this idea of God shaping and forming us to um like you're basically cutting away the sin, the the stuff yeah. that isn't of God, of of his original design for us and what's left is what's yeah, like ultimately our original intent, like our mm-hmm. what we're originally mm-hmm. created to be, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's why it was such a, a key point in the story, is because it's very much connected to covenant and what does that look like, and yeah. right. and even looking at the customs, like um, Jews um, could only eat certain things, so they thought, oh, like we can't eat with Gentiles because um, they eat unclean things, mm-hmm. but it's yeah. like so they were even discovering what does. This church, new church body look like can yeah. they have fellowship with one another, yeah. Jew and Gentile alike? Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah,
3: and even um, apart from just the Jewish, like the actual Torah law, um, in the post-exilic period, I think I mentioned it when I was talking about it. They started to write not just not just follow the law, but write. They had gone back from exile and they had this fear. Almost a fear of rejection from God, right? Oh, God's going to reject us again. So, what do we need to do? We need to write a law outside the law to protect ourselves. And so, you know, they said, um, okay, if it's uh, mm-hmm. like if we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath mm-hmm. when that means watering our fields, then we can't spit because that could be watering our fields, which could count as working, which could count as breaking the Sabbath, which would mean that mm-hmm. God would send us into exile again, which is like, and so that's kind of their mindset. And so they write this law outside of the law, and what's it called again, Louisa? The the Talmud. The Talmud. And so most, yeah. well, not actually most, all, well, I guess I don't know all, but pretty much all modern Jews follow the the Talmud, which is kind of the oral tradition. And that's what the Pharisees followed was this oral tradition that kind of started passing down. And so this is most Mm -hmm. of the stuff that Jesus ends up rebuking them on is he's like, you follow the traditions of your father and actually with it, you reject the law. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you say that you can't eat with these Gentiles and it's like, well, that was, that's their oral tradition. That's not actually what God's original intention for them Mm -hmm. to be. Their intention was to be a light to the world.
0: Um, a good example of this uh, of us humans twisting things to um, to so God might say one thing and then when people ask us about it, we sort of we go all right god doesn 't want us to do this so let 's like create these extra boundaries and extra right. um you know walls to make sure that we never go past it and one of them is in just in the garden of Eden with Adam and Eve uh you 've got Eve that when when God says Adam do not eat from this fruit, you'll surely die. That'll be the day that you die. When Adam, when Eve is talking to uh, the snake, she says, um, yeah, surely if I even touch this fruit, yeah, I'll die. So Adam had put up another layer and said, not only don't eat it, he said to his wife, don't even touch it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> don't, don't, an extra layer there because... Yep. Um, And that just shows that it's not actually what God said. God just said, don't eat it. And then, obviously, when Adam gave that extra layer, potentially just the theory on what could have happened is Eve would have touched the fruit and gone, I'm not dead. Mm -hmm. So that would have caused the doubt, um, oh, did God really say that? And that's what the serpent said, you know, did God really say that you would die, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And because of Adam's extra protection on that fruit, that caused her to potentially doubt the Lord's uh, sure. command. Um, so even though we try and put up these extra borders, just take what God's saying, don't yeah. add extra layers, just, right. yeah.
3: just what he's saying.
2: Face <laughs> value. Yeah.
3: Um, yep, no, that's really good. Um, yes, and so um, coming back to the Judaizers, why these guys are important, right? So they're kind of just another group within what maybe another sect of christians Mm -hmm. but obviously they're not thinking of themselves necessarily as christians but they're trying to fight from a different angle saying that gentiles okay yes gentiles can be included but they need to Mm -hmm. come under a lot of these jewish cultural Mm -hmm. practices and so naturally these guys are going to be pro-israel which when we think of the context right that's Uh, it it is actually really significant because um, one of the most important dates in the, well, it's not actually, well, I guess it kind of is in the New Testament, but one of the most important dates in the New Testament period is 70 AD. And this is when Rome comes and destroys Jerusalem. And so there's a lot of tension in this time, even in Jesus's time, right? All the Jews are expecting this physical Messiah who's gonna rise up like Judas Maccabees and rise up like David and rise up like all these heroes and Mm -hmm. crush the Romans they're thinking this vision of that Daniel had of this rock crushing the -hmm. statue is gonna be an actual king and he's gonna set up this amazing eternal physical kingdom of Israel right and so that's the expectation that's like what's happening in a Jewish mindset is there that's their anticipation so Jesus comes and he's not that, so they think he's just one of these other hundreds of messiahs who say that they're messiahs, and you know he just is gone now. And but obviously he's raised from the dead, and so that um, has many more implications. But even even in Christian believers, there's still this expectation and this still this uh, anticipation of. How is it going to be fulfilled? Think of when Jesus ascended. That's still the last thing that the that the yeah the disciples asked him. So when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he's like, "All right, peace. I'm going to heaven." Did you have something to <laughs> yeah, say? Yeah, I,
2: I was just even thinking about because um, I remember so many people were getting so excited about 2020, and they're like, "Yeah, you know, people want to get married and mm-hmm. all this stuff." And this is gonna be a year of like people like I don't know like on my end like a lot of people were saying like oh this is the year of the bible revival all this stuff Mm. and it's funny because it's like literally this pandemic happens and so from the surface it seems like oh like this is the exact opposite what we want like we i guess on a mission standpoint we send people out to the nation so then when lockdown happens all that stuff it's like the exact opposite but Mm. i mean what was so cool about that year is like I mean, I remember seeing like posts about like people, like literally in Walmart. Like that's a store in America, but um, all the Bibles were sold out there. And like, mm. so th- even though maybe it was different than what people expected, mm. like God still had like did move and is moving in maybe ways that we wouldn't necessarily yeah. necessarily expect. So I'm sure it's like a similar kind of. That's good. Yeah.
1: Like applicable event. thing from today. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. They were expecting a very political Messiah yeah. for yeah. their specific time, mm-hmm. yeah. but God gave a Messiah for all times and yeah. all places and all people, yeah. which is different but also mm. better. Yeah, the best exactly. Yeah, His plan is better <laughs> yep. always.
3: And even post. Oh, did you have something, Joel? I
0: was just going to say um, the potential of having the you know Jesus coming as the Lamb. Like 2,000 years ago, and then maybe returning as the lion mm-hmm. um, next time he comes back. So we might, again, we're doing the whole guessing thing of, mm-hmm. yeah, we're going to have another political um, yep. Messiah in the second coming, but could be wrong about that, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> since they were wrong, they were wrong sure. last
2: time.
3: Yep. Yeah, and going to be
2: humble about it. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm.
3: Which I think is a good point. Joel like that you bring up because it's interesting I mean this is kind of getting ahead of ourselves into maybe some other ideas but it is kind of interesting how we fall into that the same mindset that the Jews had they were sitting waiting for this Messiah to come and they became useless right they weren't even being a light and it's like wow mm. maybe we're doing the same thing where like we can fall into that same trap and that mindset of like sitting on our hands waiting for our Messiah to come mm. rather than realizing the Messiah well yeah He already came and we're empowered to live out the kingdom now. So, Mm, that's that's
0: good.
3: Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, Yeah. So, even though obviously Jesus came, he didn't fulfill their expectations, even in the Jewish mindset, there's still this expectation of God restoring the kingdom to Israel. And so, this is the Judaizers are going to be. On that side, but when we talk about the context of 70 AD, obviously hindsight is 2020, so we know how important it was that the early Christians weren't on that side. Because if they were on that side, they would have ended up dying with the Jews in Jerusalem, which would have been a death blow to Christianity. Right? Which is kind of crazy when we find uh, in 70 AD something that happens when the Roman siege is they actually pull back for a while and the Christians escape. Um and this is a bit controversial but people think it's because that Matthew 24 was written to them and so they understood, oh, Jesus prophesied about this and so this is this is what he was talking about the Romans coming to Jerusalem so they escaped and they fled to the mountains. And actually, no Christians died in the sieging of Jerusalem in 70 AD, which is, like, crazy. And so when you think of even just from a practical standpoint, how important it was that the Christians weren't on the side of Israel, because it wasn't just, we support Israel, we stand with them. It's like, if you partner with them, you're opposed to the Romans. And the Roman kingdom was founded on this idea of Paxa Romana, which means Roman peace. So this is the first time, maybe ever, that there's been actual, like, Well, peace in the sense of no wars within a kingdom. Um, Even the Greeks right before them, even though they had a kingdom, it's like constant fighting. And it's like whoever, the strongest person is just going to come and take a city. And, you know, the Greeks will maybe come along and take it from them later. But um, this is the first time maybe in history that there's actually been peace. And that if you're in the Roman settlement... In the Roman Empire, sure, you may be under Roman rule, but there's they're not going to let anyone rebel. And so that's a big issue. So the fact that they're pro-Israel isn't just like... It's, it's really important, actually, in the fate of Christianity. But these Judaizers are obviously pro-Israel, and they're pro-law. And so they're going to come along and discredit Paul's apostolic authority a lot because um, obviously he can't be serving God if he's opposing these Jewish traditions and opposing Jewish, you know, maybe... Not a, maybe opposed to Israel and their cause for a uh, physical kingdom. And so we're going to see this, you guys, if you're reading Galatians and Romans, this is going to be huge. Those are almost the central key mm-hmm. like idea of those two books is these Judaizers are coming along discrediting Paul's apostolic authority and saying that Jews and Gentiles are different. And Paul is going to argue in those books that no, we're all united in Christ. We're all made righteous by faith, not by works of the law, not by, you know, necessarily something outwardly that we do, but we follow the pattern of Abraham, and that's the way of righteousness that's by faith. And so he's really, really going to be strong on that, but we'll also see it, like I mentioned in other books, like First and Second Timothy, we're going to almost, probably nearly every single book you'll see something that ties back to this idea of the Judaizers, works of the law, pro-Israel, all of these things, because Paul's saying, you know, our kingdom isn't one of this world. We don't Mm -hmm. fight our battles according to the flesh. Um, And so all of that has to do, right, He's, he's, he's saying that, you know, it's not necessarily just Israel. And he says that in Romans 9, not everyone descended of Israel is of Israel, right? So it's not just that Israel is special. He's like, it's about Jesus and his fulfillment of that. And he'll talk about it in Ephesians, I really like the way he says it in Ephesians 2. He says we've both, there's no more, there's no two separate men. There's not Jew and Gentiles, but he's reconciled us both to God in one man. So it's not two separate men, but one man, Jesus, and that's all that matters. Um, and so it's pretty exciting, um, pretty cool stuff. Um, but that's something really big is you guys look into these books, understanding these Judaizers, understanding these are people. Mm -hmm. So in Galatians, right, Paul plants all these churches in this area, and he's writing these letters to them um, because these Judaizers have come in after him, and they've said, Paul's not an actual apostle. You guys need to circumcise. You need to do all of these things, and Paul is rebutting it. But these people are going to follow him everywhere, and... Yes, so if you guys understand it, it's going to be really helpful just understanding a lot of his books. Um, yeah. So they were saying that Paul wasn't circumcised? Uh, no, they. They. I don't think they are arguing that. They were just saying that basically he's not making you guys be circumcised so they're not real Christians. Oh, I see. Yep.
1: Yeah, they're going to have a real problem with Paul's uh, inclusion of the Gentiles into yeah. like the kingdom of God and into God's people and um, kind of the adoption like of Gentiles being a part um, of the family of God because that's a big theme in Romans and Galatians. Is like this family unity of the church yeah. and of um, like Jews and Gentile being part of the family of God. Um, and they obviously being pro-Israel and pro-law – um i a a way to explain it is um if you're not circumcised and if you're not following kosher and if you're not following the law um which none of the Romans would be doing, then in a Judea, like in a Jewish mind that means you're unclean and God is holy so he cannot be you know connected or yeah um with like you cannot be connected in that way if you're unclean but then Paul is arguing well it's by faith that we have been made right and it's by faith that we're made clean and pure and holy in um this family relationship in Galatians and Romans um but as a Judaizer if I'm focused on you know my I guess what like the works of the law if I'm focused on my obedience and my um like keeping the law is making me clean and like in right standing with god then it's going to be a problem for me that paul preaches gentile inclusion so a yep. big a big tension between the judaizers and paul is this theme of like what are we going to do with the gentiles like are they included or are they not included in the family of god
3: yep mm-hmm. no that's a really good point um yes so it is yeah it's about inclusion and breaking these kind of cultural things. And Louis actually has a really good teaching on um, Acts 10 and Cornelius. And it's kind of this, I think it is really applicable to us today because we're kind of in a different uh, context, but kind of the same idea. Um, Vaxed and unvaxed. Is vexed that where you're going? Wow. That's exactly where I was wow. going. Oh, wow. Like I will not get there. I mean, Paul actually talks, safe, talks about the vaccine. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, uh, oh, my gosh. Is that a three off thing? Yeah. We were oh, talking just,
1: about Cornelius. Like, oh, about yes.
3: Um, well, because obviously, as Westerners, we have a very Western idea of what the gospel is and what Christianity is, you know, and it's kind of the same idea, right? The Jews are saying, you have to accept all of our culture as well as Jesus in order to be a Christian or these Judaizers were. And it's like, Mm. I think it's a good application for us today is how much are we actually doing that to people as it's like, Mm. you have to fit inside of this box of what we think is a good Christian in order to be a good Christian. You know, you can't keep Parts of your culture, you have to look like a Westerner because that's normal and safe and Christian, and that, and it's kind of crazy. We, um, one of our good friends, she hurt. Well, she is actually born in the Middle East, and she was talking about, um, just, uh, was it, uh, Afghanistan, and, mm-hmm. just kind of like, what happened in, how they became so anti-West and anti-Christian, and one of the whole ideas is basically you can't become a Christian because it's a Western idea. So that's evil and bad. And that's kind of crazy that that's how much we've mixed our culture with the gospel is Mm. that to the point where people are like, that is a Western idea and culture because it came from the East. It came from the Middle East, right? Like not even that far (laughs) from Afghanistan, which is like, I don't know. I think it's a good challenge for us today as Westerners to humble ourselves and be like, Mm. when we talk about what is the gospel, um, just to kind of consider how much we put our, Um, our own culture into it and I think obviously I'm part of Youth with a Mission so it's a missions organization so obviously I think about these things more than maybe the normal you know (laughs) Christian just going to church but I think it is challenging even um, in a a western context right is that we want to be preaching the actual gospel because we don't want to make it more challenging for people to interfaith than it has to be right because obviously there is a hurdle there is a challenge that people have to have to interfaith but we don't want to be adding in our ideas and making it harder and harder and harder um because the gospel is for all people it's inclusive yeah
2: and so cool like i think i mean we see it's really awesome to look at the different stories in acts because like paul isn't saying like oh what you're believing is wrong you need to believe what i believe but he actually goes about in a way of like okay like Actually, just acknowledging where they're at and yeah. connecting the dots and like fitting the puzzle pieces together and be like, I mean, there is a basically a group that like they worshiped an unknown God, and like, the he, yeah, and so he basically is just like, Hey, like I know exactly which God that is, like, and you know, mm-hmm. and th- his name is uh, Jesus, and, and and I think sometimes I think we just kind of try to turn things into a formula or try to make mm-hmm. things into something that... You have
3: to say these exact yeah. words or else... Yep.
2: Yeah, but it's, like, so and good pray to um, yep. recognize where people are at and just, like, just nudge them into the right direction and, yep. and push them closer to Jesus. And um, mm. not necessarily, like, forcing it down their throat, but actually, like, leading them and just... Yeah. Mm. I mean really just being a signpost at the end of the day. Yeah. It's, it's, def-
0: really. it's definitely it's the so beautiful good. thing about the gospel is um Jesus came to the sinners and then yeah. through that we become righteous. It's not get yourself righteous, then Jesus will come. Yep and then you can go to heaven. It's the other way around. So mm-hmm. um it's it's just really important to know that, you know, accept acceptance perceives change. So you don't um Invite people to church, hmm. tell them they've got to clean up their act. Yeah, then come to church and then get saved. Yeah. It's come as you are. Yep. And um, through being saved and um, and experiencing the Holy Spirit and, and the divine nature of the Holy Spirit just dwelling in you, yeah. you want to yeah. walk holy as as Jesus is holy. You know, yeah. you're doing mm-hmm. that because you you love Him rather than doing it to show that you love him mm-hmm. first and then get saved. You know, it's just yeah. it's just a different... Every, every single other religion in the world, you've got to work your way into heaven. And Christianity is the only one where you come as you are, yeah. and then you, you, you're right standing
3: yep. with Christ. Yep. No, that's really good. I mean, I'm glad I shared earlier on this podcast because I can just reference myself, but <laughs> it's the two ways kingdoms ruled, right? I talked about it with Persia and Babylon, right? Babylon and Assyria mess up you're getting skinned alive you're getting crucified you're getting impaled (laughs) but persia right is this way where cyrus is like here's money go build your temple and pray for me right it's like two different ways to rule your kingdom fear and love right Mm. um and the kingdom of heaven is absolutely a kingdom of love right and it's not just do this because we say so and these are our rules for our club but it's Mm. actually god loves you so much So one, obviously you want to respond to that, but also if God loves you so much, these rules are the healthiest thing for your Mm. life and not, they're not even rules as in limiting you. Well, maybe it is limiting you, but it's actually the best design. Like it's what Mm. you're created for. You're going to be the happiest and most free and joyful in these limits. And Mm. so, yeah.
0: Um, just touching on that. I always look at Christianity as a marriage, Mm. you know, um, I mean you're not married, are you Louisa? No, no, but you guys are um, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and um you know you are honoring your your spouse because they are everything to you, you know um yep. you what is it um if you went into your relationship with your spouse and didn't and, and did it as a workspace thing yep. with no love, it would be a terrible marriage, Yep. Mm. Um, and then, if you go into your relationship with uh, all love, but you're never trying to do anything, you know, it's mm-hmm. just you just say I love you a lot, but never actually show it through actions. <laughs> then you're going to have a terrible marriage again. You know, yep. it's just mm-hmm. uh, that's where the faith and works come in together, yep. um, and that's what shows shows the the Christian relationship with God. Because at the end of the day. This whole Bible is one giant love story, mm-hmm. and and it yeah. pretty much finishes with a wedding feast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so
2: good.
1: <laughs> yeah, and just recognizing that, um, just as Johnny was saying, like this is a kingdom. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of love, mm. but it's also a kingdom that starts with peace. Like that, there mm. has like what Jesus accomplished uh, at the cross and in his resurrection. It is finished, and that leaves us with perfect peace. Mm. And that's kind of the starting point. Um, just like we were saying with other like other empires, like in empires you have to make sure that you, like in Egypt, you had to make sure that you made this amount of bricks because otherwise yeah. you would get the whip, you know? Like it's this thing of like, I have to do this much or, or else, you know? Mm-hmm. But that's not the starting point of mm. the new covenant. Like the the covenant that we have with Jesus that God set up for us starts with peace that we know that we are right standing and atonement has been made and there's forgiveness for sins, you know, yeah. which is a really great starting point <laughs> when you go out and you'll witness to Christ. So,
2: yeah, and even adding on to that, like it's so cool to see even the origins of the story, like it all starts in the garden. Like there like I think if we kind of cut out that very first bit of the Bible, we would just think, "Oh, well, humans are always evil." There's like there's yeah. nothing good about like the creation of humans but actually recognizing that God I like this is about the restoration story and restoring us back yeah. to that that place of what we were originally created for. And yeah, and so like with, with Genesis it's like it's so good to understand like wow, like actually mm-hmm. we were made for a relationship with God in the garden. And through Jesus, it's like that that entire relationship is restored. We don't have to have mm-hmm. shame or guilt. Mm-hmm. Block us from God, but literally it's like through Jesus he just tore open the curtain, and we have full mm-hmm. access to him mm. and yeah. yeah, I think sometimes we can go about that in it in our and um like live from that place of like, oh, we are sinners in Christianity, but the thing is is like Jesus paid the price for that for mm-hmm. us to have that like to to take away from that, all that guilt and shame and to like, at least acknowledge, like, when we do mess up, but not live in that place of shame and guilt.
0: Mm. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to slip back into the old Pharise- yeah. Pharisee minds. <laughs> no.
1: no. definitely oh. not. Be um, modern-day Pharisees. <laughs> <yeah>.
3: Uh-oh. <laughs> um, just as you guys were talking, it reminded me of this verse in Galatians. <clears throat> Paul says, For you are called the freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh or to serve yourself, but through love serve one another. I think that kind of sums it up, right? The starting place is love. The starting point is freedom, right? And it's like there's no obligation. It's not like here's the expectations God has on you, but Paul's like this is what you should do, right? <laughs> this this would be the normal response to understanding what God has done for you. Mm. You're free. You know what I mean? Like you can go back to doing whatever the heck you want and, you know, being a jerk and like mm. acting like you used to act before, but guess what? You shouldn't, right? Like, you're free to do whatever you want, but that would be you probably don't understand what Jesus did for you. If mm-hmm. that's going to be your response, probably shows that you missed something and you're mm-hmm. not actually responding to that love. You're just going through the motions. And I think that's a good challenge for us, hey. Eh? Yeah. Um, mm. yeah, and so I think that's a really good application out of <laughs> the uh, Judaizers. Oh man, it's good stuff. Um, so, we talked about sorry, just draining it back in a little bit. Um, so we just talked about Judaizers, this idea of the law, this mindset of fear of punishment of rules, all this stuff, right? Um, so that's good application out of it, but also just for context for these letters, you'll see a lot about you know Jewish traditions going on about endless genealogies, all these things have to do with the law and Jewish. Traditions and ideas. And so that's a good study for you guys to do is go in and study some of these things because you'll notice it in Paul's letters. And so that's one mindset that's going to be really common that Paul's addressing is just Mm -hmm. this Jewish mindset, acceptance of Gentiles, but also he's going to deal with the mindset of the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to talk a little bit about Greek culture. Um, So, Greeks, unlike Jews, are very paganistic um, which means you know they worship idols they have many gods Um, in the city of Corinth um, their archaeologists have found 12 temples um, to Greek gods which is pretty crazy Um, so obviously we don't know if those were all standing in Paul's time but we know that there were this was a very spiritual city and Corinth Mm -hmm. is a very Greek, 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 Greek city, Greek culture is very normal there. Um, So one of their gods um, was called, well, goddesses was Aphrodite, um, it shows she was the goddess of love, and so they would worship her by prostitution. So that's pretty cool, um, I guess. That's, or is it? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, interesting. Um, of course they would like that, you know? Yeah. It's,
0: <laughs> it's, it's amazing how all these gods are normally gods that, I mean, typically by the world standard, very easy to worship. Yep. you know, <laughs> Conveniently speaking. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a real
3: sacrifice to worship yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, there were other gods, especially in Corinth. They had Asclepius um, and Apollos. These are gods of healing. And the Greek pantheon is crazy. Um, there's a lot of gods. And, I mean, a lot of it was normal idol worship stuff, but that was a very Greek thing. And so sexual immorality isn't necessarily a huge issue to the Greeks, um, but obviously with the Jews and... All that stuff that's definitely going to be something Paul addresses often, and that's kind of why he addresses it, is because Mm -hmm. not only do they worship their gods like that, but also just the culture is very loose on what sexual purity means. So Paul's going to hit that a lot. And another really important Greek mindset... A worldview that we need to understand. So when we talk about a worldview, it's like the lens through which we see everything. And so it's the, your worldview are the things that you don't even think about. It's just you assume are real because that's how you view the world. Mm. And so the Greek worldview, um, the way that they saw the spiritual and physical realms. Um, so here's a little fancy word. If you guys want to sound really smart, you can throw this one around. It's called cosmological dualism. Um, And so this is the idea that basically there's a divide between um, physical world and spiritual world. And so this is honestly how I used to think of the spiritual Mm. world is, you know, heaven is out somewhere in space, I guess. Um, And, well, not literally in space because we can't actually get there by any of our means. (laughs) So there's a separation and the physical world is what we know, you know, the Hubble telescope and, you know, the universe, the edge of the universe and beyond that or whatever mm-hmm. is the spiritual world. And so that's, that's a very Greek idea is that there's a division between spiritual and physical. And so this kind of goes into, um, which probably on the next episode, you guys will learn more about, which, um, it's this idea, of that the, the spiritual is good. And the physical is bad. So not just that there's a separation, but that one is good and the other is evil. And so Mm -hmm. this is a Greek idea basically is that there is the truest sense of God and he is 100% spirit. And there is us in this physical world. We're 100% physical, so we're 100% evil. And so there's these layers of gods that are increasingly holy or pure or spiritual that are less physical um and those are kind of like the steps until you get to the pure the purest essence essence of who god is where there's no physical mm. physicality i don't know what the material word is. Yeah. material yeah. yes there's no material he's just pure spirit and therefore he's pure good pure light pure everything awesome mm-hmm. right and so this started to seep into Christian ideas and beliefs. And so this led to a heresy that's called Gnosticism, which means knowledge. Gnosis mm-hmm. in Greek means knowledge. And so it. and the Greeks would do this is that they would, they thought that through your knowledge and through your wisdom and understanding, you would climb this ladder and elevate yourself out of this evil physical reality Mm -hmm. and into a more spiritual, enlightened, holy mindset. Mm. And so um, Paul's going to talk about this a lot. But with this, obviously, um, with the idea of the flesh being evil, well, then what do you do with the idea of Jesus? What do you do with the resurrection, right? If the flesh is evil, how could God come in the flesh? If the flesh is evil, why would God resurrect Jesus from the dead? That doesn't make any sense.
1: Well, um, it's just funny you would say that the Greeks were doing this, and like that was their worldview. Um, just kind of bringing it back to what I was sharing last time, N. T. Wright has this one thing he's very passionate about as he talks about the platonic captivity of the gospel, of mm. how we we'll, made the gospel just like, okay, well, how do I get to heaven? Mm. Which is very much like... It, it's inspired, like it's this <laughs> it's idea that like the heaven is good and the earth is bad because spiritual is good and flesh is bad yeah. and like material is bad. That yeah. actually stems from like a Greek worldview, which mm. is maybe not as biblical as we would like it right. to be <laughs> because it kind mm. of challenges our worldview. And it's uh, good for us to recognize that we're spil- still in, like influenced by that Grego-Roman worldview yep. um, in the Western church. Um, that, yeah, it's interesting to see like do we view the gospel as just, like, a way, oh, well, if earth is bad and just destroyed and, you know, yep. unredeemable, then Jesus made a way for me to go to heaven, which is, yep. like, the escape place for Christians. <laughs> yep. the escape
2: pod, you know, when Jesus comes back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's so good, like, to even recognize that, because I think we even, like, have that same mentality with, like, salvation. We're like, mm. oh, well... Uh, I like said the prayer. I'm good. You know, I got my ticket into heaven, mm-hmm. and then yeah, everything will be fine. But really, it's like it like heaven is now. Like yeah. our relationship with Jesus is now. I think Jesus says the kingdom of God
1: is here. Yeah, it's just you know? so good to to realize Honor. that. Yeah, as it is in heaven. Yeah, we don't
2: have to just go into some escape pod to mm-hmm. <laughs> to be yeah. yeah zapped into heaven or whatever.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah,
3: I like that verse where Jesus says, you know, um, don't look here or there because the kingdom of heaven is within you. You know, and it's mm. like, it's right there, you know, the kingdom of heaven. It's not far off. And so, yeah, that whole this whole cosmological dualism idea is, yep, very bad. Um, and, I mean, even in the context not just of, like, heaven, but also that's, like, We almost view God this way, as like he's this Zeus figure. It's like, if you think of, Mm. I don't know if you guys have ever done that, but it's like, what's the first image you get of when you think of like God? It's like, often I think of that, who's it, Michelangelo or the one where uh, it's on the roof? Yeah, with the fingers. (laughs) And it's like God's this bearded white man on a cloud, you know, with. um, Anyways. Yeah. And (laughs) that's like, that's like, Zeus, you know, and it's often, like, this aloof, distant, pondering, you know, old man who is super holy and has never done anything bad in his life, and all of this stuff, you know, and it's like, he's so angry at sin and he can't dwell with it, and it's like, well, that's the Greek idea of God, and it's like, wow, is that actually, when, Joel, you're talking about, like, love and a marriage, right, is that why, is that... Is that the way that our spouse, you know, the one who's been married to us through the new covenant, right? Is that, is that really what he's like where he's just so far off and angry Mm. at us or is he the creator that, well, John will talk about it next week. The one who was with the word Mm. face to face with the word in the beginning, right? Um, I mean, okay, this is like getting way off track, but it's good. But even when we talk about the Trinity, right, and we call Jesus the son and it, um says that he would right is that this idea that even before creation that there's there's family right there's relationship so everything that god creates is out of that place it's not out of boredom or you know whatever it may be but that he's actually created the world out of relationship right and he's created it out of out of that framework in that context right so he's in his restoration plan through the gospel, right, it's not about his anger at something we've done wrong, but his desire at wanting us restored to what we are created for, right? And so, um, and then, I mean, even with cosmological dualism, right, if you do see God that way, what do you do with Jesus? It, the only way, way it can lead is into Gnosticism, which basically has all these excuses, which basically some of them are called... Um, to name a few, so one of them is called Um I think, uh, I think it's Serenianism. Oh, yeah, 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 it's basically that there was this man Jesus, and there was this Christ Spirit, right? Mm. And so the man Jesus is just he's a he's a body, so he's evil, right? But mm-hmm. there's this Christ Spirit who's basically as close to God as you can get, and this joined the man jesus when he was baptized but before he died it left him right and so because spirit's good because god came in the flat well god came in jesus he didn't actually come in the man but he just joined him and this is why paul is going to say in colossians it's so beautiful he says the fullness of the godhead dwelt bodily in jesus so it's not just that he rested upon him but he dwelt inside of who jesus was which is like an incredible statement, right? And what do you do with that idea if you think that God is holy and can't dwell with sin? What do you do with this? What do you do mm-hmm. with Jesus coming in the flesh, eating with sinners? It's like mm-hmm. that's that's a that's going to stump your whole idea of who God is. And so that's where we want to have humility and see God's mm-hmm. word, where Jesus comes and dwells with sinners. And maybe our idea of God is wrong, and maybe the worldview we've inherited mm-hmm. is wrong, and we need to. Change that and renew it according to the truth of the word, which is Jesus, God, the fullness of Him dwelling bodily, touching unclean mm-hmm. people, eating with sinners, you know, doing the things He's not supposed to do um, in our worldview. Mm-hmm. And that's God. Um, it's pretty beautiful. Um, yeah. And so those are the two kind of big. Big picture mindset ideas um, that you guys are going to really run into in these letters is um, the Judaizers, this idea of law and pro-Israel, and this idea of cosmological dualism, Greek culture, Greek ideas... And Paul's going to be battling both of them. I mean, this is really clear in 1 Corinthians. He says, Jews demand a sign and Greeks seek wisdom. And the message of the cross is folly to the Jews and, you know, uh, weakness to the Greeks. And yeah, we'll Mm. kind of see that idea where he's like, you know, it doesn't necessarily fit either of their models of what um, Mm. maybe a Messiah would be.
1: And I guess also another um, question that comes up which you might know more about, like, your study of Romans, is um, because we already talked about how Paul um, would talk about the Gentile inclusion and argue that they didn't have to be Jewish and walk, like, in a Jewish way. They were free to follow Christ. But then, obviously, the other side of the same coin is the danger of syncretism. You know, Christianity just, um, when I say syncretism, I mm-hmm. mean having, like, pagan worship and... Like sexual immorality and these things that are kind of defiling, like God's name and His um, glory. Like that's the kind of the, the other danger. One thing is for them to be kind of religious or like under yoke that they don't have to put on. But then, mm-hmm. what do we do with Gentiles? Just keep like kind of um, taking advantage of the grace of God. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah, and Paul even addresses that a little bit mm-hmm. because. Um, I mean during that time they would like basically sacrifice food yeah. to these like pagan gods and so like if like let's say your neighbor like were to make a sacrifice um, if you were a Christian and you have eaten that food with knowing that they sacrificed it um, basically it would cause them to stumble it would it would make them think mm-hmm. oh well then like the God you worship as well like he must, be okay with that too and mm-hmm. like maybe I can just add that him to all these other gods that I worship um and Paul addresses that and he's like well I mean we don't have to make this big deal out of it and be like oh like is this person is this food blessed to a, a god or not but like if you know it is offered to a certain god don't eat it with the intentionality of or with the mindset that you don't want to to make Mm -hmm. others think, like, it's okay to worship multiple gods as well. So, yeah, it's good to be aware of
3: that. Yeah, and I think it is a good question because even that idea of what I was talking about earlier with Acts 10, where there is a wall and kind of a barrier to entry for people coming into the faith, it's like, in a certain sense, well, like, we do want to affirm that there is a barrier of entry in a sense um, because, you know, Paul... Says that we shouldn't associate with the things of the world, you know. And even in the early church, it's like they were, ended Mm -hmm. up, after what we have in our Bible, they ended up being persecuted by Mm -hmm. the Romans. And so, because they seem like this weird fringe group, not necessarily fitting in with all the Roman cultural things. So, I think it is a good, like, question for us now, in that sense of, like, even though... Yeah, we don't want to fall into the religious spirit. We don't want to err on the side of willy nilly just doing whatever we want because God has grace. And I think, I think the best, I guess maybe I don't. This might be a good answer. Um, Best passage I could think of about that is just Romans six, and he talks about how we've Mm. died to sin, but now we're alive to God. And he says, you know, the whole point isn't just that we should keep on sinning so that grace can abound, because that's what Paul just finished up talking about in Romans 5. Look at how the more we sin, God's grace abounds more. And so he starts off Romans 6, so should we keep doing that? And he says, no. Um, He says, do you not know that you were buried with him, right? And he said, you died in order that you might die to the body of sins, and you were raised so that you might walk in the newness of life, and it's kind of like what Rose was talking about is that the purpose of the gospel and what the, what Jesus did um, through His death, burial, and resurrection was to restore us back to to what He created us for. Mm-hmm. And I like the, the the image of like or this analogy of like a car. Right? Is Henry Ford invented the car in the early 1900s? right? And he invented it with a purpose, right? To get from point A to point B and to do it faster than they had done before. And if, and now obviously our cars are much more developed and we can get there much faster. But if my car breaks down, it's useless to me, right? Like it's not fulfilling its purpose, which was to get me from point A to point B. And God's purpose for us was In Genesis, he says to bear his image, right? To be image bearers of God, to walk in love because God is love, right? That's our created image, our purpose. And so if we're not walking in that, I don't like it sounds a bit harsh to say we're useless to God. I don't think God views us as like just instruments of Mm -hmm. like, we're not just like tools to God, but in that analogy, right? We're useless to him, right? We're not fulfilling our purpose. So we're like a car sitting out back, just rusting away, wasting away. Purposeless. And so I think that's the whole, like, yes, we don't want to fall into legalism, but also the whole purpose of what he's done is to restore us back to his image, mm. to look like Jesus. And one of my favorite passages is Romans five. And he talks about how, um, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Um, and he says, while we were sinners, we were reconciled to God. And that word reconciled, literally means to exchange coins of equal value, which mm-hmm. I think is crazy. So in our worst point, God declares, this is your value. Your value, what you're created for, right, your image is Jesus, right? This is not just your goal, but that's actually who you are. That's, that's, that's how God sees us, right? And that's why he's doing it. He's doing mm-hmm. this exchange saying, guess what? You know, Louisa, at your worst, I still see you as valuable as Jesus, which is, should inspire us right when he talked about earlier about freedom that Mm. should inspire us wow if that's what god believes about me that that well if that's what god believes about me that's the truth right (laughs) what god believes is true i hope we all agree with that or else um Yep, we're probably not Christians. Um, Or we don't believe in God, right? Because if we do believe, even if you don't believe in the Christian God, right? It's like if God decides something, then that's that, right? So if that's what God believes about us, that's what's true, which I think is an inspiration of, wow, so that means that Jesus just is an example for us, but he's an example of us. So the purpose of the cross isn't just for us to have grace and to walk in whatever we want, the same ways that we kept walking in, but actually to see the value God has for us um, and walk in Jesus' image, right? To be just like Him, um, which is pretty interesting. Um, one of my favorite verses, as well, is um, Romans 1617 And He says, um, The gospel is, is the revelation of God's righteousness, and it is from faith for faith. And so it's kind mm-hmm. of that image of, The gospel is the revelation of what god believes right his faith and that's where we spring our lives off of right that's where we that's where our faith is founded right that's why we're different than just self-help or you know Mm -hmm. self-motivation because what is that founded in just your belief in yourself you know i am amazing i am strong (laughs) i am beautiful it's like well those are just founded in nothing right but what we're founding our faith in is what god believes right his faith mm. and mark it says have the faith have have faith in god but actually that could be and arguably should be translated have the faith of god mm. right which Christus is really cool Christus. yeah <laughs> um so yeah that's a really good question right we don't just mm. continue in sin and, and in the old ways but we walk in the newness we walk in the image of Jesus because that's what He's restored inside of us. Mm.
2: So good.
0: Um, the have you heard of the story of those elephants that have uh, a rope around their legs? Oh, yeah, that's good. You Oh should yeah, share it. yeah. So you know, that? just what you're saying about um, with uh, how see yourself, how God sees you, and what how strong you are, and believe God when He says, you know, mm. you are the strong, and you are my son, or you are my daughter, or whatever it is. Um, and it's the story of these elephants and they're in Africa and some guy walks up to these massive creatures and they've got this little tiny rope wrapped around their leg and the guy says to the to the elephant owner and says why why is this elephant does that really hold the elephant you know why Mm -hmm. is the elephant still here and Mm -hmm. and thinks that this little rope is going to be attached to this tree trunk and and couldn't he just break free? And the owner says, yeah, he could break free, but when they're young, we tie this rope around their ankles and then, or well, their cankles, probably, <laughs> the elephants, yes. and, um, and they uh, can't break it at a young age. So when they're older, they're conditioned to not be able to break this yeah. very weak rope. Even though they're immensely strong when they're adults, wow. um, they have this psychological barrier that they can't break it and i think you know that sort of relates to me and resonates when you're just saying you know like if if the owner was able to speak elephant yeah. and said to the elephant <laughs> break from this rope you mm. can do it yeah and he is saying a truth yep and the elephant mm. is just going no i can't do it, it yep. and so it's a lie Yep. what the elephant's saying even though the owner's saying so it's just like when i re- when i listen to that story and, and i hear what you're just saying you're like just believe what god says you are
3: yep. because okay.
0: what yeah. he says you are he has to speak truth because he is truth Yep. so if he's saying that you are free and that you were saved then you are free and you are
3: saved yep, so good. <laughs> yep. no it's so good i mean yep effectively that elephants just brainwashed you know yeah. it's, it's kind of funny when we like say that because people are like oh are you brainwashed it's like I want to be brainwashed you know what I mean like <laughs> yeah. I want my mind to be washed from all this like yeah, stuff it's I learned ideas, yeah because yeah.
1: mm-hmm.
3: it's all a lie you know And yep. it's funny yeah I am brainwashed my brain was washed my brain was brain. washed <laughs> <and it's good. laughs> in a good way yeah <laughs> it's good yeah. Mm. oh man yeah I really like that story that's yep that's the beauty of the gospel and that's what we have to awaken to right is we're tied to this rope and we can just mm-hmm. break free and walk in that right and stay in that place and that's what makes it good news right it's not good news if you that elephant is just chained there but you know at some point it'll be let free it's like no it's mm-hmm. good news if it is let free right now you know and that's kind mm-hmm. of the idea going back to what louisa was saying right of we view Christianity just as this end goal, you know, and someday we're going to go to heaven. And it's like, no, this is a here and now thing, you know, and we get to enter in here and now. And it's kind of interesting. I've been thinking a lot about like surrender and sometimes like, because I remember at one point in my life, just like surrendering to God, you know, like really wanting to grow. And it like, it almost felt like the things I was surrendering, it was like hard. And I just like caught it one day and I was like, that's so weird. That's such a weird mindset because actually the things that I'm laying down are nothing. You know what I mean? Mm. It's like mm. when we surrender things to God, it's not like we're surrendering things that are valuable, right? But we it's, it's our perceived value of those things that mm. makes it difficult for them to lay down, right? It's our perceived, like, oh, I could never walk in freedom from this thing. Oh, mm. I could never do this. That's what actually keeps us in bondage more than the actual thing even like addictions and stuff like that you know what I mean it's like obviously those things you know they are really difficult but it's like a lot of the times it's more well in addition to the physical dependency it's also your idea of how much you need that thing and what it does for you more than just the actual reality of what it is and so yeah I think that's really good I can walk freedom here now so um, we've been going for a while, so I want to shift a little bit, um, to just go over a little bit in each of the books, um, maybe just some problems that Paul is kind of addressing in, in, in these books and in these letters to some churches. Um, and we might talk about a few, uh, Rose might have some questions, um, <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. Um, and that'll be good. So, and we'll kind of, Yeah go in that direction. So um, in Thessalonians, um, we see a lot about eschatology, which is just kind of the end of the world, the end of all things. Paul talks about, um, because the Thessalonians were a church that Paul wasn't actually, he he established this church, and then he got driven out by the Jews because they didn't like his message. And so he's writing this letter to encourage them. The day of the Lord hasn't come. This is what's going to happen. And he kind of does that in both books. Um, talking about the day of the Lord, which, um, yeah, and also just kind of the resurrection of the dead. So they had this idea that basically, you know, only people who were alive when Jesus came back were going to see him. And he assures them, nope, the resurrection is both for the dead and the living. And that's awesome. And he encourages them in their laziness. Um, so people don't really know why, but possibly it's something that they believed about Jesus coming back they had stopped working, which I think kind of goes back to what we were talking about, right? The kingdom is here and now we don't want to sit on our hands and if our view on Jesus's return empowers us to just sit on our hands, that's probably not a good thing, um, because God wants us to be faithful to the end, right? Um, there's a lot of parables about that, right? The faithful servant, right? Who the master will return in the middle of the night and will he be found faithful? And so, um... There's a lot in the Bible that talks about our faithfulness to the end, and so Paul encourages them, don't be idle, right? Don't be lazy, but continue in the good work. Lead quiet lives. Um, The book of Philippians is actually, there's not too much drama in there, but there are a couple people fighting in that church that Paul addresses, but mostly he encourages them, right, to continue in their faith. He says to continue imitating me. Um, Don't sell yourself short, but continue pressing on in growth. Um, yeah, Philippians is a really fun book. Um, Colossians is definitely uh, one of my favorites. Um, there's a lot of good stuff in there, but um, they are very much under this Greek mindset that of almost of kind of what Louisa was talking about with syncretism, but not in the sense of like taking other Greek cultures or like bad things and adding them to christianity but thinking that jesus isn't enough right so um, you need jesus but also these spiritual principalities and powers are extremely effective and Mm -hmm. so paul is encouraging them and that's why i really like colossians because it's a lot about the preeminence of christ and that's kind of where i get that idea of you know what what god says is true he talks about in the end of chapter one this whole list he's like by christ everything was Mm -hmm. created nothing was created without him um he's like and not everything consists in him which is like that in itself is like crazy but that's where i kind of like got this idea i was reading it one time and i felt like the holy spirit like really impressed on me of like you know what god says is true you know it's like if god says up is up well then that's that's what it is you know if god says gravity is a thing then gravity is a thing you know it's like he decides the laws of this world and what God says is true, right? And so if he says, boom, I've made you holy through Jesus, and you have peace with me, that's true, right? If he says, I've made you just like Jesus, that's true, and that's amazing. Um, And it really hits on that point um, in Colossians. He talks about how we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, and just like the work of Christ and how it is more than enough. I love, uh, I think it's at the end of chapter 2, he talks about how um, Christ has disarmed the principalities and powers of the, of this present age, and it 's really cool because when he the the image that he uses what we see is just he disarmed them um it 's actually that what they would do when they would like conquer a city is that they would take the king of the city they would strip him naked, tie him to a chariot, and ride him around the city basically as this show of humiliation of like like you like just complete embarrassment. And that's basically what Paul, that is exactly what Paul is saying. Christ has done to the spiritual principalities and powers now, which I think is extremely encouraging is it's like literally they had, he took everything, even the clothes off their back. That's how much Mm -hmm. he disarmed them and defeated them. Like it's not even close to being a battle. It's kind of funny. Like, I mean, that can go into a lot of different application and things. Um, But that's who Christ is, right? The fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily in him. That's, like, amazing, right? Mm -hmm. So Jesus wasn't just 50% God. He wasn't, like, 25% God, 33% God. He was the fullness of God in him, which is awesome.
0: He literally disarmed him as well, you know? Right in the Garden of Eden, the snake got his arms and legs cut off, disarmed, and had to crawl on his belly.
2: (laughs) Well, it's so encouraging, too, because I think sometimes we get so stuck in, oh, good versus bad, yin and yang, there's, like, exactly Mm. equal opposites, but (laughs) I feel like over and over in this story, we see, like, God, like, supersedes evil and darkness by, like, a long shot, like, (laughs) it's, like, no comparison, which I I think helps so much when Mm. we're going through difficult circumstances or, like... We maybe don't necessarily see, like, um, yeah, the end of the story. We can actually stand on the truth and be like, actually, no. Like, Jesus gets the final say in this. Yeah.
3: No, it's so good. And that kind of goes into Ephesians as well, because it's kind of that they're written around the same time. Um, And Ephesians kind of dwells with these same issues. You know, it says that. um, Actually, let me just go there really quick it um ephesians i'm just gonna read it because i really like this um this is ephesians 1 chapter 20 he's talking about the power that he worked in christ and he says he worked in christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put everything, or he put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body to him who fills all in all. Right? And so Paul's encouraging them of like the the, the grandeur, right? The, the power, the majesty of God and of God in Christ, right? Is that he's not just seated you know, kind of above other spiritual principalities and powers, but he's seated far above, right? Every rule and authority and dominion has been placed under his authority and power, which is like, wow, that's awesome. Um, yeah, in Ephesians he talks about, you know, the body, um, the unity of the gifts, and he also says, I kind of think, kind of tying back to what I talked about of, of work, our destiny are what we're created for is to bear God's image and to walk in the image of Christ. Um, I just love in chapter four, he talks about, he says he's given the gifts of the, of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. For what reason to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, so he's saying God's given us all these things. Why? So that we would walk not just in twenty-five percent of Christ, right, but in the full stature of mm. Christ. And yeah. Paul really goes into this in his letters is what Christ has done to restore us, right? Through and Irenaeus was what was one of the. Uh, early church fathers, and he says, Christ became all that we are so that we might become all that he is, which is kind of like a scandalous statement. Um, I was raised Lutheran, and so those ideas like that were very um, taboo, right? Those were out of, you know, kind of, those were those crazy Christians. But that's, that's the roots of our faith, right? That Jesus became flesh and a man, not just to be like, to punch a bunch of tickets to heaven, but to restore us to our mm-hmm. to our created destiny which is you know walking the in its image, His image right and so paul uses language like new creation right to put on your new man and in one sense it's it's new to us but it's not new to god right that's the original that's the 101 right that's our dna that's our that's who we are right and it's really cool um yeah and so he'll talk about that um as well a lot in Galatians and Romans, um, and we kind of already talked about those a bit with the Judaizers, this division between Jew and Gentile. You'll see that a lot in Galatians and Romans, and Paul arguing how we're all we're all represented, we're all included in Christ um, and those are really the themes of Galatians and Romans um and Corinthians is a bit of an outlier. Um, Corinthians is funny poor poor <laughs> poor Paul with the Corinthian church, I was saying. Uh, the other week that like the Corinthian church was to, like a, a hormonal teenager where it's like one, <laughs> one day they love you and then, then the next they like hate you and that's like Paul's relationship with the Corinthian church. And so <laughs> that church, there's a lot of problems, right? They're sexually promiscuous, they're suing each other, um, they're divided. And so Paul has a lot of practical problems to address there um, as well as they're just really opposed to him. And so 1 Corinthians is very practical, you guys there's all these problems that I know about so this is what you do with them but I think that's not Paul's heart and when we talk about like the thread of you know these books Paul does give very practical instructions you know what I mean like slaves honor your masters you know husbands love your wives you know there's very practical things but I think his his heart is more to give principles right here's the principle this is what Jesus has done for you And walk in that image, right? And I think Paul would rather give a principle than say, all right, in this exact circumstance, this is what you have to do. And I think that's really encouraging for us, right, is to focus on principles because principles can be applied to many situations versus sometimes we just want the exact textbook answer when people aren't really textbooks and situations in life isn't textbook. Um, I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever tried to fix a car, but it's always that you watch the video and you're like, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do. And then you actually go to do it. And there's like 10 different parts in your car and it's so frustrating. And I feel like that's like life. And what we sometimes try to do is like, here's the principle for walking in forgiveness. And then it's like, but people are just, you know, every situation is so unique. And so I think principles are really good. Um, and so Paul does a lot more of that in second Corinthians. Um, and there's a whole lot more in that book that we just kind of don't have time to go into. But there's more Greek um, influence and culture that kind of infiltrates the church through these super apostles. And so we see that in the second half of Second Corinthians. He starts talking about the super apostles, and they're kind of threatening his authority. And these were guys who fit Roman culture of, you know... You're going to be a really good speaker. You're going to be someone who's fit, athletic, you know, good looking. Mm. Those are people who are worth listening to. People who ha- have money paid for their content. These they're asking for money because it's worth it. That's a very Greek idea. And Paul's like, "Well, sorry, I don't fit your idea." Um, so I'm, and these people would boast in their, you know, in their successes and in their wonders. And Paul's like, "Well, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses," um, kind of like rebuking them. Mm. Um.
2: Yeah. Well, and and in Corinthians, it talked a little bit about like head coverings. So I there was one yes. time I was uh, talking to someone on the street, and they were like, "Well, does this mean that we're supposed to wear our head coverings in church?" Because this was the early church, so um, yeah, they had yeah. it figured out. Yeah. So it's. I mean, how does that apply to us, and where, like, why was Paul mentioning this?
3: Yeah, that's a good question, and. Um, I'm just pulling it up really quick so yeah. I make sure I don't miss anything. Um, Yes, so I think you mentioned this earlier, Rose, um, as well. As I've talked about it as, you know, the thread, right? So if, if Paul doesn't talk about it in every letter, it's probably not that big of an issue. And this is something that he doesn't mas- mention in every letter. So, I mean, even just from that perspective, you could say it's probably not that big of an issue. Um, But also um, Paul talks about how every man is the head of his wife and Christ is the head of the man. I think that's just kind of a picture of creation, right? Is that God created Adam and then created Eve out of Adam. So it's not saying that men are more important or more special. I think he's just kind of saying that that's what happened in Genesis. Um, And so just some context with this. So this is a good example of where, you know, if you just say, you know, you need to take the Bible literally, everything it exactly says, right? This is the early church. They have it figured Mm -hmm. out. They know what's going on. Um, That's where you could probably get a different conclusion. And this might be a good time to dig a little bit um, and find some historical background. And so if you dig a little bit, you will find that in Corinth – Pagan men would worship with their heads covered. And Paul says men should worship with their heads uncovered, right? Because he doesn't want them to, what Louisa was saying, to be tied up with these other religions. So he's saying, be different. Don't pray with your heads covered. Pray with them uncovered, men. And women who had uncovered heads represented um, kind of a super feminine movement. And so these were like the liberated, free women in Roman society. And so they were often promiscuous um, and they would disregard the sign of marriage, which in their culture was long hair. So Paul's saying, don't cut your hair short because you're going to be associated with these people. He's saying, don't um, wear, have your head uncovered because you're going to be associated with the wrong people. And so that's where... You know, and I know people still argue that that's wrong, but it makes sense. Like, it it fits. It doesn't seem Mm -hmm. like a stretch that if that's what's happening in Corinth, then that's probably why Paul is addressing this problem. He's saying don't just associate yourself with the wrong people, but but be intentional, right? Be a light to the world, Um, not associating with the wrong crowds. So, yeah, that's a good question, Rose.
2: And well, kind of tied with that as well. Like, um, I know that he was also addressing like women speaking in church. So that, I mean, I know that shows up later, but yeah. What are your thoughts with that?
3: Um, yeah, that's another controversial one. Um, if you guys can't tell, I'm a, I'm an American. Mm -hmm. Um, and so in America, this is a hot topic. I think it's I can't remember mm-hmm. what group it is, but there are a lot of groups that say women can't be leaders in church because of these problems, and this comes out of First Timothy, I believe it is,
2: and also First Corinthians fourteen.
3: Oh yeah, First mm-hmm. Corinthians fourteen is pretty straightforward. Uh, he's talking about um,
1: public order,
3: yeah, public yeah. worship, and he says if you prophesy, if you have a prophet a prophecy and someone else is prophesying remain silent if you have a tongue but there's no interpretation remain silent and his whole context is there should be order and worship and when so everything that he's talking about the Corinthian church is just madness right multiple people are talking in tongues prophesying and there's another problem we find which is that women are asking their husbands questions in the middle of a service so if you have a prophecy and someone else is sharing Be silent if you have a tongue and no interpretation be silent if you're a woman who wants to ask a question to your husband in the middle of service wait till you go home that's what paul's talking about in that passage do you want to add to that
1: yeah well also uh, it's important to again remember what johnny was talking about with um greek culture and their pagan worship that in corinth he's going to be talking to people who have um like a very um worship is very tied up to like this idea of like different festivals and feasts that are very disorderly and like very chaotic and very associated with sexual immorality and like temple worship is very disordered and in first corinthians first corinthians 14 um 33 paul says but god is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. So, like, what Mm -hmm. he's addressing is, like, have peace and unity in your meetings. Like, that's the big theme. So that's what we, when we read this passage about orderly worship, we want to think, okay, they're used to disorder, and they're used to just running around and, like, partying, and, you know, there would be all these, like, blood covenants being made and sexual immorality and prostitutes and that's the worship they're used to but paul is saying no like that's not a good repre- rep- representation of god and worship yeah. we, we should have orderly worship and like have some sort of structure i guess yeah. that's good no that's really mm-hmm.
3: good um the other passage that you're talking about rose is in or well that kind of talks about this is in second tim or first timothy 2 Um, and this is in verses, uh, 10 to 14. And so Paul is talking about women and it's the same idea. He says, don't adorn yourself with all these outward things. Mm -hmm. Um, but with good deeds, right? So he's saying it's not about the outside that counts, but the inside. So focus on the inside. Um, and so in verse 11, he says, so in verse 10, we can see, um, he says, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works, and then he switches. So we notice, right? He's talking about women in general as a group, and then he switches, let a woman learn, let a woman, sorry, learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet for Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And so, what we learn is that um, there is actually a, a heresy that was, or in a popular mythology that was around Ephes, Ephesus at the time, which is where Timothy was. Um, And so I'm just going to read a little bit about this. And so hopefully this will kind of clear the air. So the society in Ephesus had a definite matriarchal character, which means that women were in power. Um, And it looked upon the feminine as the primal source. Um, Alongside this view was a Gnostic teaching that Eve was a source of divine revelation, particularly in the Garden of Eden. In such a region such as Ephesus, where the foremost deities were maternal, it can be well understood how Eve was worshipped as the one who first tasted the tree uh, of knowledge thus it seems likely that Paul was forbidding this sort of matriarchal primacy and particularly the view that women uh, was the author of man such as was the view flatly contr- con- contradicted the Genesis account um, and so basically right in Ephesus these people had this idea that women were the source of all truth and so it must be that there was a particular woman who was teaching in the churches that Eve wasn't actually deceived, right? She was the source of revelation and truth, and that flowed through women. And so women are good. Eve is awesome, right? And Paul's basically saying, don't listen to this woman, right? He says, this woman needs to learn with submissiveness. Why? Because she doesn't even get the Genesis account right, right? She mm-hmm. is she doesn't even know the origins, like the 101 basic, Bible, or uh, Sunday school stories, right? Mm -hmm. So if she doesn't understand that, she needs to take a step back and learn first in submissiveness. Um, And he says, and then he goes on to correct her teaching, he says, right, Um, and this is why he doesn't permit her to teach, because if she doesn't understand the Sunday school lessons, then she isn't going to understand probably other things. Um, And so he says she is to remain quiet. And then he goes on to correct her teaching. He says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, right? That's how it happened in Genesis. And it says that Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And so this whole idea isn't saying that women are stupid (laughs) because (laughs) they were deceived and Adam is the source of all truth, which is unfortunately how we've interpreted it. But what he's saying is that um is that's actually what happened, right? The serpent came to Eve and deceived him, and Eve talked Adam into eating the fruit. That's how it happens in Genesis. It's not that's not necessarily saying women are bad, men are good, you know, women are stupid, they're just gonna be deceived, and men are, you know, infallible, they can't be deceived. No, because obviously, right, there is a lot of humility that happens after that. But what he's saying, right, is that this is literally what happens um and also that Eve wasn't innocent in what she did, right? Because that was also another idea is that, you know, um, Eve was, even though Adam fell, she tasted the tree of the knowledge, and she became pure, right? Mm-hmm. But he says, actually, she was deceived and became a transgressor. Um, and then I don't even know what he's talking about in the next verse, where he says, yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and holiness with self-control. I don't even know what that means, so I'm not even gonna try. But I think mm-hmm. hopefully that's a good beginning, starting point for yeah, women speaking in church, those passages.
1: Yeah, yeah I just wanna I just wanna add on to that if yes. there's any women out there being furious with Paul right now because he hates <laughs> women. That Paul does not hate women no. but he's like, he's just saying... But all women know. hate Paul. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he he's more saying, like, this woman is teaching, you know, wrongly about yeah. uh, the Genesis story, which is obviously very important. We've been talking about how, like, God is restoring people back to, like, the original image. So, obviously, getting that origin story is very important, but yeah. also... Just to kind of take it back to what Rose was sharing about, like is this something that's consistent throughout the letters we actually like in in Romans in chapter sixteen one it says, "I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church in um synchrea, so Paul sends mm-hmm. Phoebe to Rome with the letter of Romans, and so oftentimes Paul wouldn't be the one to present an epistle for the first time to the church, he would send one of his disciples to um, hand over the epistle so that they can help interpret and clear out any questions that might be in the res- on the receiver end. And he puts that responsibility in the hands of Phoebe, yeah. his sister in Christ. Yeah. So it's not just that Paul is like, he's not just saying that women, women can't be leaders and they can't, like he also goes on in, in Timothy to talk about, well, if leaders shouldn't be this way like this woman then what should they be like in chapter three he goes on to talking about like mm-hmm. leaders in the church this is what a true leader should be like mm. um so paul doesn't hate women no. <laughs> he is just yeah. <laughs> highlighting this um urgent situation of like like don't um misuse your responsibility as a teacher not even like women shouldn't do that or like mm be yeah. allowed to do that in a church just because of their gender.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think Paul kind of summarizes his views on women in 1st Corinthians or sorry, Galatians 3:28 and he says there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave mm-hmm. nor free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so I don't yeah. think Paul is saying that women are a separate class or lower. Yeah. I think he's yeah he views us all on the same level we're all included in christ so that's all that matters it doesn't mm. matter about any outward flesh thing so mm-hmm. yeah it must be something else that's yeah. why
0: context matters. Eh? <laughs> yep. a yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: and it helps like i think when you do a study like that like how god sees women it's so important not to cherry pick but pick verses but actually like okay like let's actually look at the whole picture right, yeah. just what like we brought to the table and cuz mm-hmm. it'll just really open your eyes to be like wow like god actually does value women and like i mean the fact that he like addressed it in this way it was actually very empowering for the woman of that day and age cuz yeah. oftentimes mm-hmm. yeah women weren't necessarily seen as yeah equal to men so yeah it's good to even understand that
3: yeah it's good Nice. Well, I think that's all I have on Paul. I don't know if you guys have any questions, or, I mean, we've been going for a while, so I don't know if yeah, there's anything you guys want to add on, if we just wrap yeah. it up.
2: Well, I definitely recommend to the audience to watch um, the Apostle Paul movie, because I think it mm. helps, uh, like, see a bit of, yeah, his perspective, like, the persecution that was happening during that time. and um, But, yeah, it's like,
1: mm-hmm.
2: like these are real people with, real situations and sometimes yeah. we kind of for, like forget that when re- we're reading these mm. epistles and these stories. But um, yeah, like it's really cool to see how God God's hand was in the process and helping navigate um, this early church being established. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm. Yeah. So would you say for any of the listeners that are interested in Paul, not only to watch the movie, but um, if they want to read it in the Bible to start off with, would we say Luke and then Acts, because they're the same author, and then that gives you an idea on his, mm. like, what, yeah.
1: Yeah, I would think that's a good place to start, because Luke was also a companion of Paul, so mm. we see that he, in the later parts of Acts, is actually with Paul. He uses, um, like, a inclusive plural, like, the we and us instead of them and they, so we know that Luke was with Paul in mm. his shipwreck and some of his time in Rome so he would be kind of an eyewitness of some of the things Paul experienced yeah. and a good friend of Paul
3: yep. yeah yeah so that's a good place to start and then um I mean if you're brave you can start in Romans I really like <laughs> Romans but um a little warning for Romans is just try to read it without you know your uh lens just let the text speak for itself because I think make that book a lot more confusing but I would say I mean it's kind of hard to go wrong in my opinion you could read Romans Colossians is one of my favorites Ephesians is really good Ephesians is probably a good one because people think that was written as like a letter that was meant to be passed around so it's pretty general and pretty kind of just mm-hmm. to the point and so I'd say Ephesians is a really good one um mm. yeah I mean those are three mm-hmm. that I would say are pretty good beginner ones
2: yeah, and a, a side note about Romans it's so helpful to understand that uh, Paul was writing to a church that was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, mm. and so sometimes we kind of we will try to apply it to today, and be like oh, like you know, Paul was writing to us, but actually, there's so much in there about kind of the idea that like oh, well, yes, the Jews had salvation. Um, like they are from Abraham, but ultimately they're not necessarily saved because of their bloodline, but then you have the flip side where Gentiles don't have to like work to earn salvation, but actually we're saved through grace. And so we really have to understand the audience for those books, especially, yeah, because we can get lost a lot, you know, especially in different sermons or different views of that. And, um, yeah, just to have those
3: lenses. Yeah, so maybe instead of Romans, you could read Galatians, because that's like a a mini Romans, basically. Yeah. (laughs) So Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, those are good ones.
0: (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Johnny, for sharing so much about uh, the life of Paul. And um, yeah, you're an incredible man. Thank you, Louisa, for joining us. And Rose, you guys are just all absolutely amazing and I hope you're blessed in this and that um, anybody listening to this episode that you really took something away from it and come join us on the next episode of the Jesus Magnet for the Bible Overview series.